0: My name is David Cunion, WWZFM New Orleans. 1017 digital, 1019 on the analog side, and still after the end of the world. Don't you know that yet? If you're a trans-dimensional being, that is information you need to know. Speaking of transdimensional beings, <laughs> 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 Scott Billington is in the house. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you, David. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we're glad.
0: You know, it's about time you came on my show.
1: Yeah, you know, it's,
0: it's uh, just one of those things. I've just somehow never, you know realized you were in town when you were in town and yeah, you know that's right. You know, I know I know you, you know, get to sleep early these days, so yeah. <laughs> um, we're here to talk really because well well tell us, why are we here to talk? What's going on?
1: Well we're here to talk about the new edition of James Booker's classified album. And I was just thinking today there is, there are so few things in life that that in which we're given the opportunity to, to go back and revisit something that we did a long time ago. And it was so exciting to be able to go back and listen to the complete recording session tapes for James Booker's classified album and discover some new things and and remix it so it sounded better. It, it was a very difficult recording session, and it had been almost 25 years since I'd listened to these tapes. And the filmmaker, Lily Kieber, who's uh, Bayu Maharaja, the tragic genius of James Booker, Film will make its debut at the New Orleans Film Festival on, on the 17th. Kept bugging me to hear the tape. She wanted to hear the whole session. She wanted to hear anybody, anything anybody said. And finally... And um, she is
0: very sweet and persistent. Yeah, so she, a oh, nice combination. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, finally listening back to the tapes, it was like there are some pretty cool stuff here that people haven't heard before. So we have a completely reimagined edition of, of Classified.
0: Well, what? what how did... How did you get, first of all, how did, you're not from here. No, I'm you're, from Boston. You're from Boston. Yeah. Yep. How did you first hear about James Booker?
1: I think it was Jazz Fest in 1980. I'd come down to visit some friends of mine who had moved here from the Boston area. And I was with um, my friend Tom Smith, who's a writer from Connecticut and a, a New Orleans music fan. And he'd been to the Maple Leaf and said, man, you got to come see this piano player. He's playing in the window with this laundromat. Um, uptown because the the Maple Leaf had a bunch of washing machines in the back at the time and it was Booker and I I must have heard him on a really good night because it completely blew my mind soon after that at Rounder Records we had the opportunity to license a live record of James Booker that had been recorded in Switzerland and we released that and that did well and it was like well um, maybe I can just ask him if he'd like to make a new record and Went and introduced myself backstage at Jazz Fest the next year, I believe. And John Parsons, who managed the Maple Leaf Bar and who also managed Booker, was there. Um, I believe that was the year that, that Harry Connick Jr. sat on the bench next to James Booker at Jazz Fest and, and played with him. And it was really just a short conversation. Yeah, you know, I'd like to make a record. Um, and John and I put together a plan.
0: Did Did you know of his reputation or... Did you heard anything else about him besides the yeah, fact I, that he was a great piano player? Or?
1: I remember reading the liner notes to the first studio album that he made, the one that was made at Sea Saint, the uh, Junko Partner record. I'm right. thinking, this sounds like a pretty interesting guy. and, and um, Definitely, there was something a little off-kilter to his, his writing, too, but in kind of a charming way. But I didn't know that much about him, no.
0: Um, okay.
1: His um, I'd seen pictures of him with his capes and stars and wigs and... Um, but I just kept focusing on the music that I heard, which was just extraordinary. And, and seeing
0: seeing a musician with capes and stars and wigs in New Orleans is not really no, that out really of the not, ordinary.
1: Not that, No, not that out of the ordinary. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, in these 31 years that have passed since the time of that recording session, um, I've heard so many stories about Booker, and I have my own now, too. And... It's almost like every person knew a slightly different James Booker. And when you end up talking to all the different people that knew him well and, and hear their stories, you finally start to piece together this very, very complicated human being. And um, I also came to, to realize a very lonely human being, too. Someone who expressed himself so beautifully in music but just struggled so, so hard with, with other areas of his life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm um well let's um we're going to come back and talk more about this let's play a cut off of this um is there something that you know that you particularly like or i mean i've I listen. listened to the whole thing i think the whole <laughs> thing's great but um let's play,
1: let's play one of the ones that's never been out before like okay w- Warsaw and concerto maybe um this was um something that liberace used to play and i assume that's where booker learned it um but um
0: he did but kind of he was did kind of fashion himself a little bit did. like Liberace. Yeah, that, was, that was
1: a part of who he was. Yes, um, along with all of the blues and the gospel and the jazz, and it was a very very interesting uh, interpretation of this this tune.
0: All right, we're going to play the Warsaw Concerto from James Booker Classified remixed and expanded. We're talking with Scott Billington, the impresario and producer of this fantastic new you know expanded edition of Classified. For those of you who have the original Classified record. If you get this, you will have a whole different view of the entire thing, really. It'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind in a great way. And let's put on some music to let you know, the Warsaw Concerto, and we'll be right back with more conversation. It's WWOZ FM New Orleans, because we know how you're classified. Warsaw, concerto, courtesy of James Booker, from classified, remixed, and expanded, put out by Rounder Records. We have the producer of this fine, fine recording, who was revisited it after how long? How long has it been since when was this done?
1: It's been thirty-one years, nineteen eighty-two. I was thirty years old when we made this record. <laughs> wow,
0: God, it has been that long, huh? Yeah. We're sitting here with uh, with uh, that's Scott Billington, who has graciously decided to come in and tell us more about this this fantastic recording. Um, how? Explain to me how you recorded this, where you did it, circumstances behind it.
1: Sure, it was done at Ultrasonic Studio on Washington Avenue, which um, sadly got wiped out in Katrina. Um, although the the engineers from the, from the studio, David Farrell and, and Steve Reynolds, are still active around town. Um, Booker played every Wednesday night at the Maple Leaf Bar with the band that's on the record, James Singleton on bass, Johnny Vodakovich on drums, and Red Tyler on tenor saxophone. These are the musicians he wanted to play with. And the idea was that was their rehearsal space. They would develop repertoire for the record. Booker dug out some things that he, he loved from the 60s and, and 50s, some, some Paul Gaten and Annie Laurie songs, and had a pretty good grip, I think, on, on the kind of record that he wanted to make. But then about two and a half weeks before the session, he had some sort of breakdown and ended up in Baptist Hospital. And I was in Bogalusa making a a follow-up to Gate Mouth Brown's first record on on Rounder, um, which was run like a a pretty standard recording session. Big band, 12 12 musicians, you rehearse the songs, you get everybody to know their part, then bring Gate in and hopefully capture it in a few takes and get get the best energy out of him. Uh, Then go clean things up if you had to do overdubs and so forth. Um, with Booker, we assembled at Ultrasonic Studio in, in the daytime, like 11 o'clock in the morning on the first day of the sessions. And we worked for a while on one of the songs that he, he wanted to record, If You're Lonely, and there's a beautiful alternate piano take, solo piano take of that on the new record. But he just was distracted and just became increasingly worried that he didn't have the songs, that he wasn't getting the performance. And I realized how, how difficult this was for him. It wasn't a stream of consciousness performance in a nightclub anymore. Um, and we got very little done that day. The, the band take, of if you're lonely, that's on the record came from that day. Um, the next day was a, a repeat, but but even more frustrating. He asked that Cyril Neville and Earl King and Alan Toussaint to all come down to the studio and bring him songs. He needed songs. and Cyril and and Earl, who were both his friends, they showed up right away. Um, Earl sat at the piano and demoed a couple songs for Booker, but then he became disinterested in the whole thing, and he stopped talking to me, he stopped talking to them, he stopped talking to everybody. Um, And he played some, um, ended up just going off into a corner and not looking at anybody, and Red Tyler and I went over there and picked him up, and it was like, Booker, man, you're going to play the piano, I'm going to cancel the session, and you're not going to get paid. And he kind of looked up at me, you know, with his one good eye, kind of looking sad and still not saying much. And then he started to play. And we recorded probably an hour and a half or two hours worth of material that afternoon, um, out of which came this, the incredible version of Angel Eyes that's on this record. And there's also a slow blues on here that we just called I'm Not Saying because we didn't know what it was. Um, Given he hadn't
0: been talking, you know. that's Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we. T-
1: <laughs> so um, it's... um. And I was at this point just kind of freaking out. I, I you know, I was kind of full of myself after the Gatemouth Brown Records and winning a Grammy when I was, you know, my very early efforts, and I was finding out, man, you don't know nothing about how to handle anybody like this. And um, I just fretted all night that I wasn't going to be able to have. A, I was going to spend all this money and come back with no record. But um, the next day, I showed up at the studio. At 10 o'clock in the morning, I asked Jay Gallagher, the engineer and owner of the studio at the time, if he'd come by early. And there was Booker standing at the door and said, Scott, man, can can I go play now? And it's like, well, sure, man. You know, let's go. Um, And he asked me to come sit by him in the studio in back of the piano instead of behind a glass in the control room. And over the next hour and a half or two hours, we cut all of the solo piano stuff that's on the record. And then... um, then the band showed up maybe one o'clock in the afternoon and we, we cut some more band things. And, um, some point, uh, Booker asked to be paid and I paid him and wrote him his check. And I think he did one more take of something and kind of put his hands down on the piano and just said to nobody, what time does the bank close? And Red says, man, I think about maybe three o'clock Booker. And he just got up and went out the door and that was the last anybody saw of him for a while. Um, but we got this record. here. You know, here it is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was so grateful for the opportunity to, to go back and revisit this. Um, I wish there could have been another one. I wish I could have learned enough from this session and learned enough about Booker to, to go back and do it better the next time. Um, he, um, he kept calling me on the phone quite a bit after we made the record um, just to talk about things. Um, he really was a... A lonely guy, and um, some funny things. One time, he he invited me to go sailing with him on Lake Pontchartrain next time. I, uh, next time I came to New Orleans, and only to find out that his friend Thorny Penfield had indeed taken him sailing on Lake Pontchartrain, and he just loved it. So there were these moments that he kind of hung on to, as, as, you know, personally as well. And um,
0: anyway, here, here's this record. <laughs> um, all right, let's play another. We're talking to Scott Billington producer of of classified jade bookers classified remixed and expanded which is it out yet
1: or so is it on the 15th on the 15th mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: that would be next week
1: and this, we just realized this may be yeah, this, the, the world debut here of this this new I, record i'm
0: them. honored that it would be done <laughs> on my show um is there another uh, let, let's play something else what's um let,
1: let's play the medley the um tico tico and papa was a rascal um so swell when you're well. Um, this is one that wasn't out before. There were a couple of little train wrecks in here that we were able to use editing tools that we didn't have 30 years ago to to, to make this work. But I think this is the one track that gives you a sense of what this band sounded like on a good night at the Maple Leaf Bar. Um, you can particularly hear Red just pick right up on where Booker was going with things. And because Booker wasn't telling anybody before he started what key it was going to be in, what song it was going to be in, Obviously, once the musicians heard "Tico Tico," they knew where it was. But then he just modulates a couple times, just all of a sudden, and everybody's right with him. It's um,
0: well, they're, they're they are professionals. No, about it. Red Red wasn't <laughs> as young in that, but you know, even Vidakovich, even Johnny and James, who were relatively young at that point, knew what sure, they were doing. Sure,
1: so. absolutely. Um, mm-hmm.
0: sweet, sweet. All right, so uh, we'll do the medley of "Tico Tico," "Papa Was a Rascal," "So Swell When You're Well." WWZ FM New Orleans. 1034 digital, 1035 analog. We'll play this and then we'll come back and talk to Scott a little bit more about this whole thing. More from James Booker's Classified, Remixed, and Expanded here on 90.7 FM WWOZ, courtesy of Rounder Records. We have the producer of this fine, fine record that I would recommend all of y'all get if you're fans of New Orleans music or piano music or good music in general. Um, Scott Billington is here. Um, Now, you were saying earlier that that Lily Kieber, Mm -hmm. the producer of, of the James Booker documentary, she's the one who kind of prodded you into...
1: Oh, just in listening to the tapes again yep
0: what what when you first heard him again what there's certain things that jumped out at you or surprised you about you know that you had forgotten i was just like
1: boy that that sounds so good and johnette my wife was was listening with me and she said scott you know this this there's some great stuff here this this and and it it just caused me to to have to reevaluate the whole thing and go back and look at it again and um and, of course, back then we were limited to, to 18 or 20 minutes per side on an LP, too. So there was a physical limitation to how much we could put out on that first record as well. And um, I think I might have made different choices today. But this this is really it. Every, I think everything that, that anybody would ever want to hear from that session is now on this on the CD. It's 75 minutes long, and it's also going to come out as a two-LP set.
0: Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. okay, so it's actually it's going to be... Vinyl.
1: Vinyl, you bet. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> the way God intended it is some say around so, um, here. Um, and and I've, as I'm watching, a lot of this was in was in kind of like, there's the theme from The Godfather on here that Booker would play every sure. so often. And, mm-hmm. So a lot of it was like kind of Booker's standard repertoire at the time.
1: Yeah, I guess so. There are a few surprises on here. Like, I, I don't know where Angel Eyes came from. I'd never heard him do that before. and. The song If You're Lonely, he he did learn that especially for this record. Although I don't think we ever got a, a version all the way through with all the right words in it, but close to it. <laughs> um and actually, you know, that might be something to play in a little while. That solo version of If You're Lonely on here is just just, just a stunning version. But yeah, in the LP, you, you could you couldn't put out the band version and the and the solo piano version too on that when you've got that forty minutes of real estate there. So <laughs> um but uh yeah, this we're just talking about this while we're listening, but um, this was toward the end of Booker's life. Um, I don't think he was cons- as consistent as he had been as a piano player because his technique was like something nobody else ha- has had before or since. I don't think. I mean, Harry Connick Jr. can certainly play like Booker very, very well, and Booker was his teacher. But um, it's um, it's such an amazing physical feet that Booker pulled off, not, not to mention the imagination and the, the knowledge of harmony and the different rhythmic things he could do. Um, you know, Earl King used to tell the story of, of, well, Booker being able to play the same song backwards and forwards at the same time with both hands. And being at a Jimmy Smith concert, the Hammond organ player in New Orleans, and Jimmy Smith came backstage after the show and Booker was there, and I can't remember which song this was, but according to Earl King, Booker said to Jimmy Smith, Yeah, I really liked the way you played um, you know, all these things, but man, you played a wrong note in a bridge. And Jimmy Smith was kind of gruff and said, Man, what you talking about? You know, I I didn't play a wrong note. And there was a beat up old upright piano in the backstage and Booker went over and played Jimmy Smith's solo note for note with the bad note in it. Or the or the or the melody that Jimmy Smith had played, and Jimmy Smith was man, I'll be damned. You know, I guess you're right. Yeah, Um, (laughs) and then just to show to show that he could do it, he played it backwards as well.
0: See, I had always thought that song that that story was apocryphal. I didn't I didn't really I thought that was kind of like Earl, you know, kind of embellishing his Earl. King had done yeah, it. it yeah. However, I will tell you what, that one time one, when I was sitting at lunch with Earl at one point and I asked him about that, I said, Come on, Earl, you, how would you guys know about the solo? And Earl said, Not only did he do that, but one time, Earl said, one time he walked into the Maple Leaf with Ricky Castrillo and Booker saw them and Booker went into um, Earl, uh, A Mother's Love, Earl's first single yep and played the entire thing forwards and then the solo. And then played the solo backwards. Yeah. And I said, yeah. "Okay, that, uh, then I'll believe you, Earl, because that's your tune and you know that solo." <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, okay. Now I believe you, but I said, "Yeah, he's pretty dead. So. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, there was so there was something you know. I don't use the two I mean, I don't. You know, you may have come across more geniuses than I have, but it's not a term I use lightly. And Booker, really, to me.
1: No, he's the only person I've ever worked with that I would ever use that word with. Yeah. Yep. And I think some of these stories have grown up with the legend since he's passed away um and he he there were so many stories to tell about him and not all of them are pretty either um no. but but it's uh, you don't want to hear those I mean what what stands is this great music and this great talent that was not just unique in New Orleans but unique in the world I think and um and he's such such a powerful singer. He doesn't have the world's greatest voice, but um, in Lily Kieber's movie there's, uh, I think the full song is in there of um, him singing the song I'm True at the Montreux Jazz Festival solo. And I can barely think about that performance without crying. It's just one of the most moving Beautiful performances of, of any piece of music that anybody could ever hear. I mean, if, I'd, I'd go see Lily's movie ten times just to see this this performance again. It's 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 that great. So,
0: yeah, he his voice <laughs> his, his voice was it was not necessarily a cl- what you would call a classically good voice in but in terms of the tone and the feeling behind it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, You yeah. know, the guy could really get it. You know, get across what he was trying to do.
1: And he was funny too with his voice. He'd talk in Spanish. He'd use a Bella Lugosi accent sometimes, or Jerry Lewis, or Woody Woodpecker, or whatever. He was—he was very clever with the way he could use his voice with sound. Um, so,
0: yeah. James Booker talking to Scott Billington uh, from Rounder Records, who produced James Booker's "Classified" and James Booker's "Classified" remixed and expanded. Oh, you want to do? Um, you want to do? If you're lonely, is that? Or do you want to yeah, do? Look, an, you want to do another one that hasn't?
1: Let, let's do the solo version of If You're Lonely because okay. that hasn't been out before. Um,
0: okay, so that's the second one, right? Yes, right the second one, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. That means I have to requeue. queue <laughs> um, So tell another good Booker story while I'm doing this.
1: Oh, let's see. Um, you know, something that surprised everybody after we made this record, Booker got a job at City Hall at the Department of Economic Development, I think it was. He had a fan named Lee Madera who um, recognized Booker's, Booker's talent. Booker, he said Booker was a hell of a typist.
0: Makes perfect sense.
1: And um, he, he, could, he could look at a column of figures and add them in his head and know if they were right or wrong. I mean, Earl King said he had a photo mind, photographic memory. And he could do the same thing with a, a, a score, a piece of music. He would just scan it and look at it, and then he could play it. Um, an amazing mind.
0: James Booker, yeah. All right, let's do uh, If You're Lonely here on 90.7 FM. We're talking with Scott Billington. If You're Lonely from the latest from James. The latest, I guess. Is that the right way to say it? Let's call it it the the remixed version of of it uh, because it's been around for a while. But we're finally having a chance to hear it. World premiere here on WWOZ.
1: If you're lonely.
0: Like I'm lonely for you.
1: Trail of Sailor Rent wants to let fifty cents.
0: WWOZ-FM New Orleans. Uh, who was that voice at the end of that?
1: <laughs> that was me being very thankful that James Booker had played such a great take of okay. King of the Road. <laughs>
0: Were you expecting that one on the, him to do that one? or
1: No, he'd played an instrumental version of it um, with the band that kind of fell apart the day before. So it was on his mind. But no, that came out of the blue. And I never expected him to sing it, let alone have that kind of... Goofy sense of humor when he sang it too. It's really beautiful.
0: <laughs> We're talking with Scott Billington, who produced this fine, fine remixed and expanded version of Classified here on WWZ ninety point seven FM. Um, uh, is there a a release party for this going on? Is there going to be the amount of celebration that should be?
1: Well, there's. It's going to be a celebration. But it's it's part of the the New Orleans Film Festival, and okay. I'm not sure it's a public celebration. We got to figure out how to do it publicly too. Yeah,
0: do like a release party at you know at the Maple Leaf or, yeah, or something yeah, like that. that. Would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just play it. You know, given that you know, his James Booker's spirit still is mm-hmm. quite heavily running around the Maple Leaf Bar on Oak sure, Street.
1: Sure. Sure. Um.
0: Um. What else do I want to Oh. Um. Okay. So, is there more Booker around, or it, it to be put out from either this or anything else that? You, well, there's, you know.
1: there's so much of it. Um, I mean, you and I both have pretty big collections, I yeah. think, of, of Booker tapes and, and CDs that people have compiled from old cassette tapes that they had or whatever. Um, there's an incredibly beautiful set that was recorded at Rosie's sometime in the late 70s. She had a, a 24-track machine in, in the back of her club on Chabadula Street. Um, there's a set of Beatles songs that he recorded at the BBC
0: um, I'm still looking oh, for the Atlantic sessions. That oh yeah, apparent, yeah that that, I, that rumor has. Nobody's
1: ever heard those. They yeah. show up somewhere in an, in an Atlantic disc- discography, but but nobody's ever heard them. So I hope so. Booker has somebody good in charge of the estate, or or, or, or <laughs> well, he doesn't. Well, his <laughs> relatives do. Don Williams is working with the Booker estate, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can do more. I really really wish we could do more because. Booker was not a one-dimensional artist. There's a lot of variety in what he played, and there are so many different attitudes to what he played when he played it. And um, there's there's a lot there. I'd, I'd love to be able to do a box set, but, boy, that's becoming a, a, a challenge. That is a difficult thing. Difficult just because of the amount of money it costs to make the things to begin with. But, um, so hopefully, yes.
0: Um, well, what – you, how have you seen, also, since, since you've been working with, you know, Booker and, you know, Booker Tapes for, you know, 30 years now, how have you seen people's attitudes or or the, the you know, the I guess the attitudes and the, and the popularity of him change over the years?
1: Well, there's something happening right now that nobody could have predicted. So many people becoming interested in him again, and a lot of younger people discovering him for the first time, I think. Um... There's so many aspects of his character that just, it, it, it makes it an attractive discovery for somebody because he, w- he was so eccentric in so many ways. Um, but it's, it's been very difficult over the years to try to get the rights and license to release any book of music. In fact, John Parsons and I, about 20 years ago, went through all of the cassette tapes that he'd recorded at the Maple Leaf Bar on a little cassette player, just sitting on top of the piano, um, and put out two albums from over 70 hours of cassettes that he that he'd made, um, and those are very good. But of course, the fidelity isn't isn't particularly great. Um, we we were able to do a pretty good remastering job on it, but. It was the only Booker material that we could actually get clear license to. I mean, John right. owned this stuff. And so many people who own Booker tapes are very possess- possessive of them. And I think it, it's 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 been that way since the beginning, too, with photographs, with images. People cherish that little bit of Booker that they may own. And it's been difficult to work with very many people to get it out there into the world.
0: I think... Most of the people that I've I have run into who who knew him and were tight with him realize how special absolutely he was, yeah. and certainly don't after you know years of lots of New Orleans artists being exploited. They you know want to make sure that I guess you know in some strange way they don't want him to be exploited yeah. for, for better or for worse. Sure. You know,
1: sure, sure.
0: Um, I kind of you know that's what.
1: And he made I, a great number of live recordings in Europe, and a lot of those have come out over the years, and some of them are great too. Um, but um, it's going to be an, an interesting time when this, when this movie comes out and I think the movie deserves a big audience and it's a very intriguing, Booker was a very intriguing man and made such beautiful music. I think of that Sugar Man movie that came out last year. Yeah. And oh, now he's still living, of course. But um, there's, there's a story here to, um, for, for many more people to discover.
0: And, and it's it's not only a, a unique story, I think, but people are always wondering where the next, you know, Mozart, you know, if you're looking on that grand of a oh, scale yes. is coming yeah. from, where the next yeah. Jimi Hendrix or, sure. Sure. or some. And, and to me, you know, Booker was that talent, you know. Oh, he was. Yeah. And it's strange. Yeah. It, you don't necessarily think that the next Mozart will be, you know, a, a, a African-American Pianist out of New Orleans. No, no. You know, but why not?
1: Yes, why not? And I think that's certainly, there's a good case to be made for that, yes. Mm
0: -hmm. And I, you know, I've been telling people about Booker ever since, you know, I did my documentary on him in the Mm mid-90s. And it's now, you know, tens of thousands of people, I mean, you know, that I've told you. And once, I've found out that once you tell people, when you tell people a story, people are captivated by it. And then when you put on the music to go along with it, because oh, you, you could actually hear him. Sure. Um. Not one person that I've ever told has failed to be moved. Yes. Most very deeply. Absolutely. By the whole thing. Yep, yep. Um, and they want to hear more, and they, you know, are, you know, now with Lily's documentary about to come out that's going to give, you know, Booker some, you know, exposure that you can't, you know, that more than, you know, I've at least been able to do, and probably, sure. you know, oh, absolutely. you have more been able to. Been able you to, to. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of passion behind that film. And, um, yeah, I, I hope it happens. I, hope, I yeah. hope the world gets to hear James Booker. Yeah, the,
0: more, the, the world <laughs> will be a better place the more people who hear James Absolute Booker. I'm, I'm question fully question. convinced of that.
1: <laughs>
0: and with that, let's do one more. We're talking to Scott Billington, uh, who has been sweet enough to come on and, and talk about James Booker. Uh, one more, what you want.
1: Let's play that live version of Lottie Misclottie that you like. Live the, I mean I'm sorry not the live version the solo version the solo version yeah uh, uh,
0: alright that's track yeah. four mm-hmm. tell me about this one
1: well we cut this with the band and it's a it's a really nice slow funky groove that Johnny Vodakovich especially plays on it um, it's a more conventional approach to the way you'd expect an R&B song to sound Booker sings a song Red plays a solo he plays a solo he sings it and they go out um which I think is a little more con- confined than the way that many people heard James Booker. But the next, uh, actually, this is before before the band version. On that last day, he played the solo version of the song. And you just hear the whole scope of New Orleans R&B piano in this one little two-minute performance of Lottie Misclottie, the Lloyd Price song. The, um, that just that bounce in the bass and, and, and the rolls in the piano. Booker seldom played one note. He was always rolling in or out or some, something with incredible precision and yet made it sound so easy at the same time. So here's his a, a short version of Lottie Mascolati played on, on solo piano.
0: Step W.O.Z. FM, New Orleans. We can't have classified, the classified record play without me playing classified, which is my favorite James Booker tune. In the background is Angel Oz and James Booker. Utterly really beautiful stuff. Uh, Scott Billington is still here. Anything else you want to tell us about this fine record?
1: No, just um, I'm glad you were able to, to debut this record, making its world debut here tonight on, on David Coonian's Kitchen Sink Show. And I thank you so much. For I'm totally honored. To come by. <laughs> totally
0: honored. Totally honored. Anything I could do for you know for you and for you know James Booker, the memory of him and you know his music. Um, is definitely a, 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 you know, a mitzvah, as they would say, yeah. as my grandmother would say.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah. David.
0: Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Uh, you have an open invitation anytime you've got anything going on or, you know, stuff you want to tell the world about. You all know, right, please, please come by. Thank you so much. Um, and um, and uh, next time you come by, I'm gonna get some bojack stories out of you. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, that, Let's do uh, it. Yeah. All right, <laughs> all right. Y'all, Scott Billington. Um, the record is out on the 15th. James Booker, classified, remixed, and expanded. Uh, it, you know, if you're a New Orleans music fan, you need it. So, uh, we'll let book we'll let this play out a little bit until I can figure out what I'm going to play next. Uh, it's FM New Orleans, proud, crawl home.